podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Look, it slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Quick fire and drags it down now. Long we out. Oh, what a goal! What a goal! Here comes up, Jack's goal! Scotland have scored! It's Andy! It's Dykes! It's Welcome to the Hamden Roar podcast, the final international break of the year. Four months will pass between these games and the friendlies in March. This week it's Georgia away and Norway at home to round off a spectacular Group A campaign for Scotland. Barry Anderson of The Scotsman and Edinburgh Evening News is with me, your creator and host Andy Barge. Just the two of us this evening, we go to Tbilisi on Thursday Without the pressure of previous years, Barry, and then on Sunday we'll go to Hamden for the first time since qualification was confirmed. It's still quite a strange concept, to be honest, getting to the end of a group and having it wrapped up in our favour rather than knowing we're gubbed. Uh, it's a strange concept, but even allowing for that, Andy, when you said the words Georgia away there, it still sent a shiver down my spine. <laughs> You know, it's just one of those phrases as a Scotland fan that you just think, oh Christ, here we go. Um, so hopefully that we can, now that the pressure is off, as you say, that you know that has an effect on the game and you can actually go there and you know make an impact and get some sort of result, which you've failed to do in the past so spectacularly. So, yeah, it's a great situation to be in. Um, yet another kind of manifestation of Steve Clark's reign and the progress made during that reign um, and the work he's done how he's developed the team, the squad, um, and just the, the kind of new heights that he's taken Scotland to, heights that we haven't reached since, well, as everybody knows, since 1998, since since the World Cup. So, yeah, I mean, it's brilliant to to just, you can't wait for these, I don't know about you, but like, I think everybody's oh, yeah. the same. You can't wait for these international breaks coming round now, you know, it's like, like let's get the club stuff out the road and just, <laughs> Scotland are back again, it's terrific. Whereas before you were like, oh my God, can I just go into hiding for a fortnight so I don't need to watch it? Is that they seem to come around quicker? I'm trying to think back to today's gone by, and were there always three international breaks across September, October, November? Has that always been the case, or did they only alter that when the calendar was changed, especially with the Nations League? And we used yeah, to always we used to always have a September, October, but I don't remember always a November one. Not all the, the time. Anyway. I remember ones is relatively new, if memory serves me right. And yeah. I think I think it was the Nations League that kind of brought that one in. Yeah, um, there were always there was always like if the odd international midweek friendly in November, but I don't mm. think there was specifically an international break. Yeah, I think the fact that it's all competitive games as well makes it more worthwhile and keeps the momentum going. I, I remember it coming in. Maybe must have been one of the first times when we had it was COVID times and we had the back-to-back-to-back camps when Dykes was first included it was the Slovakia Czech Republic and Israel I think was it was it Israel yeah 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 in the Nations League and those games coming round and round so quickly and it's just carried on from there it's brilliant and now knowing that we can have the March friendlies with a tournament to come very shortly after that it adds to the excitement and the anticipation among the support as well I don't think these friendlies will arrive with the notion of oh Christ 
another Scotland game. It'll be the excitement to see how the team are doing and, and how the players are doing ahead of the games next June, which will also have a couple of friendlies before. Steve Clark, I think, confirmed well, confirmed pretty much this week that there will be a send-off game at Hamden. Um, well, more of a warm-up game at Hamden rather than a send-off one, I suppose. He'd rather have it called as. And uh, uh, the friendlies as well, I think he said, we'll have one at home, one away in March, one of them against a pot one team and the other against a pot three team, he said. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what comes with that. We'll ca- come to a, an article your colleague wrote, Alan Petullo, I think it was Barry um, about the Scotland team this week. I had to read it. That was quite good. And before we move on to anything else, though, just you mentioned the 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 depths, or sorry, the the heights that we've gone to under Steve Clark. Tomorrow, based on research done by Al Lamonts, one of my colleagues at the BBC, well, freelance colleagues at BBC. He must be doing the game for sports scene. He sent in some information to the chat earlier. Tomorrow, Steve Clark's 50th game in charge, he says. And if he wins, it'll be a 25th victory. So 50% win ratio over 50 games, Barry. That's that's not so bad. We look back at Alex McLeish's first stint, which he only had 10 games. I think he won seven of those and drew... Eh, sorry, won seven and drew three, I think. So better than 50%, but only over 10 games. And yeah. Tommy Doherty had fifty eight percent, but over twelve games. So, if you want to, you have to go back to the start of the sixties under Ian McCall for someone with a better record over a, a significant amount of games. That was sixty one percent over twenty eight matches. So, nobody has a better record than Clark over fifty games, which is really quite incredible. Looking at where we were when he took charge. Yeah, absolutely. Um... You can't really praise the guy highly enough because he did inherit um, a distinctly average squad that was down on morale and, and and a nation that was down on morale as well because you know all of us that go to watch games and even people who don't go to watch the games just watch the games at home. Everybody was in the same boat where it was like, you know, are we ever going to qualify for a tournament? And in that sense, you know, the Nations League has been an absolute godsend for Scotland. Um, it was crucial in getting us to the last Euros as we all know and it's also just touching what you said there Andy about the, the friendlies, I think the the constant competitive fixtures has really helped Scotland and really dri- driven players on to establish themselves, get in the team, stay in the team, perform for the national team and be you know, just be committed in the in a competitive sense because I think there's a I don't know if other nations suffer this as much as Scotland, I mean some of them do but there's always a kind of lethargy about Scotland and international friendlies, I've felt. And that's, you know, you've seen that so often at Hamden. You've seen it in friendlies away from home. Um, even just the two friendlies there in October, you know, the, the England game and the France game. Okay, you're playing top-level opponents there. It's not, you know, it's not Diddy teams. But at the same time, we've lost both games. So um, I just think Scotland are a totally different animal in competitive games. And that has been a big factor under Steve Clark. He's come in just at the right time when the Nations League was kicking off and all the friendlies got binned in, in favour of these competitive games. And, you know, I can't I can't speak highly enough of the guy. He's um, cultivated a, a brilliant atmosphere within the squad. He's got the Tartan Army harnessed and onside and, you know, really ready to go. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Well, this is a squad 
uh, maybe not decimated, but certainly hampered by injuries here in a, in a defensive sense, Barry, more than anywhere else. Angus Gunn, first choice keeper, is out. Does that mean that Liam Kelly takes the gloves for you, or would you expect Xander Clark to be selected as the first choice Scotland keeper on Thursday? Yeah, I think there's nothing between Xander Clark and Liam Kelly for me personally. I think they're two exceptional goalkeepers, um, but I think Steve Clark will go with Xander for the simple reason that I think Xander's probably played in more big, more high pressure games in terms of the he's cup finals with St Johnston. Um, European games with Hearts, I think that will probably get him the nod over Liam Kelly. Um, but it's you know you couldn't put a cigarette paper between them; they're so close. Um, <clears throat> I think Angus Gunn being absent at the same time as Craig Gordon is is a loss for Scotland. Um, Angus Gunn's been terrific since he's come into the national squad. And Craig Gordon before him was exceptional. Nobody was dislodging him at that point before his injury. So um, it's big gloves to fill, but um, you know we. I think everybody wants us just to go to Georgia, put in a performance, and kind of right some wrongs over there on Thursday night. Regardless of the fact we've qualified, that doesn't matter. Um, so and, and naturally you'd expect the, the goalkeeper to play a big part in that because there will be times when you're under pressure where you don't have a lot of the ball, you're defending in your own half, and you need to be able to cope with that, and you need a strong goalkeeper when balls are being shelled into the box and, on those occasions. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a curious situation that's arisen, isn't it? Because Clark and Kelly seem to, well, they were needing to wait until Gordon got injured. And then when that happened, well, it was the unthinkable, really, going from such a strong position in Nets to having to pick between two guys that probably would not be seen as long-term Scotland goalkeepers. And Angus Gunn has come in, and now all of a sudden again, having to choose between Kelly and Clark. So... One of them, I think, will have the opportunity to gain two more caps here. I certainly can't see a situation where Clark will play one of them on Thursday and one of them on Sunday or be making any changes, nothing like that, like we saw against France. So I think we'll get an idea, <coughs> say, for example, if Craig Gordon retires next summer, we'll, we'll get an idea here of who is Scotland's second-choice keeper behind Xander, uh, behind Angus Gunn uh, on on Thursday night against Georgia. In front of them, we will have a makeshift defence because Andy Robertson, Aaron Hickey, Kieran Tierney are all out, as is Grant Hanley, who is still recovering from an Achilles injury. I don't think he's too far away. John Sutter is also injured. So that means that the provided we go with the, the usual shape of the three, probably be Porteous, Hendry, and then one of McKenna or... Cooper, Barry, where do you sit on this? I think Henry is solidified as the middle one in the three at the moment. Porteous has been on the right and done really well since he came into the team. There's no reason for him to lose his place, even if Suter was fit, for example. And then on the left, we have McKenna, who's not been playing at all at Nottingham Forest, and Liam Cooper, who's been struggling to get in the lead starting 11 on the left-hand side of the three-man defence. So, Toss-up for you, or is there a clear winner? I, I wouldn't say a clear winner. I think he'd probably edge towards McKenna. Um, I think he's tended to go with McKenna more often in the past when there's been a vacancy on that, on that left side. We don't have anybody like Kieran Tierney, so it's just it's impossible to try and replace him. Um, Stephen Kingsley has, has similar attributes at Hearts, but 
Um, He's been playing on the right recently anyway. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, So I don't know if he's a right back these days or or (laughs) centre half or what he is. But um, yeah, I think I I would would expect McKenna ahead of Cooper. Um, But again, the lack of match action at club level from both of them is a bit of a concern going into a big game like this. Again, you've got a safety net because we've already qualified and we don't desperately need the points. But, um, you know, you're going, potentially there's an outside chance of winning this group if Spain slip up. Um, And there's also the pot seedings to consider when the finals draw is made. So I don't think Scotland can afford to take the foot off the pedal. So whatever decision Steve Clark makes, I think he has to get it right. It's all hypothetical here because Aaron Hickey's injured. But I would like to see Hickey as a Tierney deputy at some point, if Nathan Patterson is fit to play on the right. I think that his defensive quality, his composure, assurance in possession, and his quality on the ball coming forward means that he could maraud or even saunter at some points uh, the same way that Tierney does. I think he's a fantastic player, Hakeem. Certainly, that's not a hot take. It's clear to see. But I think that he's, uh, he's certainly a player that could fill the attacking shoes to an extent if Tierney is, is injured at some point. Yeah, I would agree. Um, saw a lot of Aaron Hickey when he was younger in his teenage years and he played he's played on the left side of a back three, he's played on the right side of a back three, um, looked extremely comfortable on both occasions. A lot of people who coached him through his teenage years at both Celtic and Hearts think that long term he would have developed into a holding midfield player. That hasn't happened yet, obviously, but um, who's to say it won't? So they, there's clearly a belief that he's got the technical ability to step out of defence, distribute the ball and initiate attacks from his own half. So yeah, I think that'd be something worth looking at. Um, maybe that's something Steve Clark might try in one of these friendlies early next year, either in the spring or, or June. Um, but yeah, I do, I do think when Tierney's out, he, Tierney is one of those positions that we don't have a, a sort of natural replacement within the squad. Um, and that caught us out. As, as you saw at the last Euros in the opening game, you yeah. know, I just felt yeah. he was really badly missed against the Czechs. Um, well, a lot of a lot of people in this instance, then Barry would say, we've proven we can play with a four. Why not do it again? Yeah, um, if we, I think if we were at home, I think that would be more realistic, a more realistic option. I think the fact that we're away to Georgia and again the history of the, that fixture for Scotland. I think Steve Clark will probably be wary of being open in any way at all at the back, and I think he'll want. He, I think he feels more reassured now when he's a Scotland manager. I think he feels more comfortable with the three at the back becoming a five. Obviously, when you're out of possession, so I, I would expect that's what he'll go with. Um, and and in that sense, you're looking at Nathan Patterson and probably Greg Taylor as your wing backs on either side. Greg, Greg Taylor, Greg Taylor, comfortably ahead of Josh Lloyd in your mind. Uh, I, th- I think so because, and again, just going on form here with Steve Clark, he's always, he's a very a very big fan of promoting from within, you know, the succession plan. So the guys that have already been in the squad, for, you know, for however long, i.e., Greg Taylor in this instance, and they're the guy, they're the ones that step up, and any new addition to the squad kind of joins the back of the queue for any position that's always been the way that he's worked since he's been Scotland manager and he's, I, d- I doubt he's going to change that now I, I have to say I'm delighted that Josh Doig is in the squad because I think he's been terrific you know, he was very good at Hibs I think he's been excellent um, in Italy for Verona and I, and I think he, I think another one who's d- 
dreadfully unlucky at this point in time when you've got Andy Robertson there just nailed down in that position. We seem yes. to have just a conveyor belt of left backs coming here. It's um, it's almost embarrassing. Well, there's there's certainly room for one of them to impress whoever gets the nod. Taylor can further solidify his position as second choice left wing back or left back, or perhaps Doig should get the opportunity. Maybe Taylor will get injured or or something. And especially if Doig continues to uh, continues to travel on the same trajectory that he is over in Italy, performing pretty well. I don't I don't think Verona are uh, substantially or a uh, a solid team over there. I think that they're probably a relegation battle side. Just I'll just quickly Google the Serie A table because we see like Lewis Ferguson's Bologna team are challenging for the Europa League qualification spots this season. Verona are yeah they're nineteenth, lost five games in a row. So hopefully we'll see Doig uh, crack on over in Italy and continue to be involved in the Scotland squads because he had a great start to life over there when he moved from Hibs initially. to midfield Barry don't really think there's too much to predict here it's really much of a muchness for the midfields you've got McGinn McGregor Tommy, McLean Gilmore Jack Ferguson I haven't included Armstrong because he normally plays as one of the ones slightly behind the striker McGregor will start certain of that alongside McTominay um, I would. I think you'd probably be would it be McGregor and Gilmore as your middle two, and then McTominay and McGinn as your sort of advanced two and behind the striker. striker. Yeah, although that's Christie, what he's done recently anyway. So based um, on if Dykes is leading the line, Christie on the bench, Jacob Brown on the bench, Shankland will come to him on the bench. So Dykes leading the line with the McGinn McTominay partnership behind him. Yeah, that's what he's done. Has worked well, obviously. Norway and Spain game before that, all the rest of it. So it's been a sort of tried and trusted uh, policy for Steve Clark to do that, and I, and I would expect you because again, out of possession, Scotland will be five four one. So McTominay again will funnel back into the midfield beside Gilmore and McGregor anyway. Um, that's that's pretty much what I think that pretty, pretty much picks itself. Yeah. Unfortunate for Christie because he's been excellent in Scotland. Sure, I haven't seen him have a bad game for Scotland. Um, yeah. But you may think that he would be the sort of guy who could come on in the second half, fresh legs, if you need a goal, potentially. Jay Adams has pulled out of the squad. He may have started. He might have been behind Dykes in the pecking order. That's The, the, the fan base seems quite split on that at the moment. Lauren Shankland is the one who's in to replace him. Doesn't seem to be Steve Clark's cup of tea, Lauren Shankland. Barry, I know you you, well, you cover the hearts beat pretty regularly. Is there anything that you are aware of that Shankland needs to do better or that might help him find favour with Steve Clark? <laughs> Apart from score goals, which he does pretty regularly. I think that's five and five he's got after the Motherwell game. 
Yeah, um, I don't think he can do anything more than he, than he is doing at the moment because he's your typical penalty box striker. Um, finishes instinctively, gets into the right positions. Um, he's worked a lot on it, on his physicality. He's, he's better in the air now. His hold-up play is better, links to play better. Um, so there is definitely a place for him on the international stage. The one weakness that everybody can see is probably the, the, you know, the lack of pace in terms of somebody to run in behind. Um, if you're playing with well, that, so look at look at his sec- look at his second goal against Motherwell though. I mean, there's a, a cracking in behind one on one round the keeper tucked in. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, in a, an international context, if you when you step up to international level, it, it, everything's that a little bit quicker. That you know, the players generally quicker. The centre halves are a bit quicker. Yeah. Um, so I would say that could you know, and I'm being pernickety here, but I think that could be the, the only weakness. Um, he. Again, it shows a lot of leadership at Hearts and because he's been given the captaincy since Craig Gordon's been injured. So that's helped develop his game as well. Um, and he came on in the Spain game. He was part of the squad for the Spain game in March at Hamden. Uh, came on for the last few minutes, if I remember right. So I think Steve Clark's got enough faith in him. Um, I think I, I, we can all see that the first, the two first-choice strikers are Dykes and Adams and it's one of those will start and one is coming off the bench at some point in the game that's been a kind of favoured policy for a, for a while now so the likes of Shanklin, Jacob Brown Kevin Nisbet um, Ross Stewart even when the time comes are all behind those two in the pecking order Shanklin almost scored didn't he uh, against yeah, Spain he McGregor, McGregor went on that amazing run down the right and then he almost well, he got a shot away, but just not enough power. Um, yeah, so Dykes leading the line with say McTominay and again behind with Gilmore and McGregor keeping possession in there. Taylor, Patterson, fullbacks, Portis, Hendry, McKenna, and Clark or Kelly in goal. There we go. We've cracked the code. So looking at the the group, Scotland can still win this group. It, would be extremely unlikely. We're level on spot on points with Spain. They have a better head-to-head uh, record than us. Is, is that that's right? Two, two nil because they're they're well. They, it now comes down to goal difference because the head-to-head is same. That's right, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Goal difference in the group. Yeah, that, that's what it goes to. And they've obviously taken a number of goals off um, Georgia and Cyprus, which. We didn't manage to do, or at least not as many. So, yeah, they, yeah. they have the advantage at the moment. We need them to slip up, and it's unlikely given their last two fixtures. Um, Cyprus, away, Cyprus away, Georgia at home for Spain. So, yeah, they'll, they'll take maximum points from that, I'm sure. And even if we do, I don't think that we will uh, overtake. We're seven goals behind them, so I don't think that we will uh, be getting ahead of Spain on on, uh, on goal difference, which I think would be uh, a fanciful prospect. So, there's. let's just say we end up in second spot then Barry that's how it's likely to go if we look at the pots for the Euros we Global Football fantastic Twitter account have us in pot two at the moment I'm, I, I struggle to get my head around the numbers and, and everything around it but we're in pot two along with Hungary Denmark Albania Turkey and Switzerland so that's the projected pot two here are the teams in projected pot three Austria Netherlands, Slovenia, Serbia, Croatia, Czech Republic. There is nothing really between those 
pots. Italy are in projected pot four at the moment. Let's say that they go up into pot three. There's a very, and this is quite defeatist, Barry, but there's a a very, very real chance here that being in pot three would be better for long-term or for group prospects on paper anyway. Yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be HEPG either way. I don't think there'll be an awful lot in it. Um, and most of those countries that you've mentioned in a one-off game, Scotland should be fancying their chances against them. You maybe say the exception at Italy, but even so, the Italy team that won the Euros three years ago, two and a half years ago now, isn't this at the same level as it is? You know, well, didn't get to the World Cup. Exactly. Um, so they've kind of fallen away a little bit since then. They were excellent back then. So um, yeah, I think I think we're entitled to fancier chances. Um, a little bit disappointed given, um, and again, I'm being very, very fussy here, but I think given the, the lead that we had in the group, it's disappointing that we're now looking like we won't win it. There's only a kind of outside chance that we might end up winning the group. Um, but I think everybody would have accepted oh, second yeah. place and automatic qualification. I don't think there's any doubt of that. So you take what you get, um, and hopefully this time when we do, whatever the draw brings us whatever pot we end up in, whether it's two or three, that we get off to the right start in the first group game because that has un that has been the the undoing of so many Scotland teams at major tournaments in the past is that that, that opening game getting things wrong on the opening game and you're on the back foot. Um, so I hope just hope for a favourable draw, whoever it is. There's, I, th- I don't know if it's been confirmed yet, Barry, but Steve Clark's picked a twenty-three man squad this time in preparation for the finals. I think the wiggle room that was allowed during COVID times up to 26 is being diminished back down to 23, isn't it? So there will be some players, there won't be as many opportunities. And if Scotland fans are looking at the prospect of Harvey Barnes deciding his allegiance lies with us or Ben Doak being included, someone's going to have to make way for them to come in, there, there's no extra allowance here, and uh, you can even look. That let's look at the the defenders. I mean, we have Angus Gunn who will replace one of the keepers. Then we've got Tierney, Robertson, Hickey, and Hanley, who, if he's fit, I'm sure will come back. So that's four players that will come in, yeah. and four players that are in the current squad will drop. There's 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 no leeway here. It's very cutthroat. You're right, Andy. It's um, I wouldn't like to be Steve Clark, and for that reason, it's uh, it's a it's a nice problem to have when you've got so much quality and you're going to have to pick from it. But having to tell people who've maybe been in most of your squad throughout this campaign that no, you're not going to the finals. That's going to be tough. On Ben Doak, I think um, I don't think there's any prospect that we'll see both Ben Doak and Jacob Brown in the same Scotland squad or the same same Scotland finals squad for the Euros should I say um, so I think it would be one of those two um, it depends on the what stage Doak is at you know come next May when it when the squad's about to get named um, but yeah it's a lot of a lot of choices to be made a lot of difficult decisions to be made and difficult conversations to have particularly in defence as you say with so many automatic starters to come back Ralston I would imagine would drop Josh Doyle yeah. I would imagine would drop. We'll, we'll 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 do this in more detail. I'm sure when we do the on the plane series between January and June, we'll do one a month 
looking ahead to the the squad selection, how the players are doing domestically, any injuries uh, selection, for example, if the January window passes and McKenna's sitting on his arse at Forest, then what what is he going to do about that? I mean, it's 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 yeah. quite pivotal really that he gets some first team football somewhere. And I suppose the the lower squad numbers is probably why Clark is continuing with the the trusted base of the four centre halves that he knows, rather than calling up someone that's been doing really well, like Liam Lindsay, who at any yeah. point over the previous decade would probably have warranted a call-up or an opportunity, a bit like Dominic Hyam last year when the squads were a bit bigger, doing really well in the English Championship, rewarded with an opportunity to impress at training. Whereas that's not come Liam Lindsay's way, which I have been surprised at. You've got Michael Rose as well doing great things with Stoke at the moment, playing week in, week out, scoring goals in the Championship. But it's just so cutthroat, as you say, Barry. And looking at the centre-half just now, and the ones that are to come back, including Tierney and that as a centre-half, I'm not sure there's any prospect of change barring injury. No, and I think on just on Tierney, the subject of Tierney coming in, I don't think Steve Clark would take uh, Kieran Tierney, Liam Cooper and Scott McKenna to Germany. So I think you'd be looking at Tierney and either McKenna or Cooper. Again, that could come down to who's playing regularly at club level as well. Uh, McKenna's actually far more, in terms of international football, far more experienced. He's got 31 caps, as to Liam Cooper's 17. So, um, despite the fact Liam Cooper's five years older than Scott McKenna. So, you know, he might look at that and say, well, he's just got more more knowledge international football, more experience at that level. So, who knows? Um, but yeah, there's certainly going to be a number that have to drop yeah. out. Well, th- those are all things that are covered in your colleague Alan Patullo's uh, article with the Scotsman this week basically wondering about Ben Doak uh, the game time generally among the squad, McTominay seems to have had that sorted out now at Man United he's playing more regularly but McKenna's one of them, Shea Adams is another he's not in the starting lineup for Southampton week in week out, he's got Adam Armstrong and uh, South American fillers Al- Alcaraz or something that's ahead of him down there, so hopefully he can sort that out, hopefully uh Lyndon Knights can sort out his goal scoring form for QPR. They've got a new manager now. And the other the other one that Alan Patul mentioned in his in his article were the, the English uh fellas or the dual nationality fellas with Harvey Barnes and then Tino Livramento as well, who I think can play for England and Portugal. I meant to mention earlier on Liam Cooper, there's a midfielder playing a lot for Leeds at the moment called Archie Gray, son of Andy yeah. Gray, former Leeds striker. And he is the England under-18 captain, but obviously has very strong part in ties. I think that it's wary, or it's, it's wise to be wary of of the feeling in these guys, Barry. For example, everybody, I think, assumed that Hayden Hackney, because he plays for Middlesbrough and is not uh, ripping it up as a, like, like Eberichiesi in the Premier League with Palace, he's going to get nowhere near the Scotland's. Uh, the England squad, but as soon as the under twenty ones came calling for him, that was it. He was off. He 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 knew that yeah. he wanted to play for England. I think a lot of these guys probably fall in the same bracket, unless you grow up feeling Scottish like Ollie McBurney did or Scott McTominay did. Yeah, I think it's a good point. If you're not if you're not feeling that, if you don't have those emotional ties to Scotland, then what's the point? Because you have to have a a passion and a desire about whoever you're playing for, for whatever country it might be. 
Um, and I think you're right, a lot of these guys will be hanging on for England um, as, it, as it pains me to say it, you know, a kind of bigger nation as it were um, more guaranteed to be at major tournaments than Scotland yeah. have been um, over the last certainly two or three decades so you can partly understand that um, I think if I think approaches are fine, I think you're Steve Clark and, and the Scotland kind of scouting team wouldn't be doing their jobs if they weren't approaching these guys and you know just sussing them out and seeing how the land lies they, they, they have already done that with a few of them as we know um, but I think as well there's a there's a very settled Scotland group at the moment um, there's clearly a lot of big, a good bond between them and a lot of togetherness and they are they are heading un, undoubtedly in the right direction so in that sense, you wouldn't want to tinker with it too much, particularly with a major finals just around the corner. So anybody who does come in from left field, as it were, um, would have to be a, a definite upgrade on the guys that are already there. Yeah. Archie Gray was born after his dad, Andy, had played a couple of times for Scotland. So it's not like he grew up watching his dad play. I mean, Andy Gray was only capped a couple of times and that was in 2003. So there's... And he is so it's grandson of Eddie Gray, who is Gray, Scottish. So, so Archie Gray's Scottish blood comes directly from his grandparent through his father. So it would be kind of second is that second or third generation? What would you call that? I suppose depending on how his dad feels, I suppose as well. Um, but his dad Andy was born in England, and Archie Gray, I would assume, has grown up feeling English, is playing for England under 18s, and we would need to poach him rather than him want to come and play I that's me looking in from the outside would imagine that's the uh, the way that it is for Archie Gray but Liam Cooper has said that he has been speaking to him about it and we'll see how it goes but anyway before all that before Archie Gray and the rest of these fellas decide their international allegiance we have Georgia away I think we still wear the scars as Scotland fans Barry but nothing to worry about this time because the players I think do not bear the scars. This is a group of boys that have never had to do the Georgia away before. Uh, only Andy Robertson. Uh, the rest of the team, the most recent time we played them under Gordon Strachan was marshalling goals, back four of Hutton, Martin, Mulgrew, Robertson, holding midfielders Brown and Morrison, Stephen Fletcher up front, supported by Anya, Naismith and Maloney. Off the bench came Griffiths, Forrest and Hanley. Craig Gordon was on the bench, didn't play. But that's about it. The rest of the guys are all Long gone from the international scene now. MacArthur, Whitaker, Russell, Fletcher, Gordon Greer, Alan McGregor and Chris Martin. So this is a group of boys that don't have to worry about repeating history that they have already committed. I mean, they're they're going there to write their own page and hopefully um, consign this Georgian paranoia to the history books, which I'm personally sure they will. And then we can get to Norway and have a good time no matter what happens on Sunday and it's important Barry because we've lost three games on the bounce now granted Spain was ripped away from us but England before that and France after that Scotland have lost three games on the bounce which we can't have said since Steve Clark first came in and we had the Russian and Belgian games back to back so hopefully the boys can get back to winning ways now in a game which we should be winning let's not get away from that yeah, you should be you should be able to go to Georgia and win. Um, aside from the, the history in this fixture, from a Scotland perspective, I think we shouldn't forget the fact that the Georgians will still be absolutely bursting their brains with rage after the game <laughs> in June. Uh, the whole you know 
delay because of the rain and the pitch and them refusing to come out of the dressing room and UEFA haven't intervened and all that and they've basically forced to play under duress. So um, they won't have forgotten how they or the, how they perceived that they were treated that night. Um, I don't think they, I don't think UEFA or Scotland or anybody did anything wrong. They just seemed to want to cause yeah. a bit of eruption. So yeah, yeah, I think we have to be very wary. Yeah, well, that's all we've got time for. But if you stay tuned for the rest of the week, we'll have the Georgian review, Norway preview, and then the Norway review after that, and then much more to come between now and the Euros. Thanks very much for tuning in to the Hamden Road, Barry. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.